We have to have states and cities that are bold enough, like the ones that are out there now, that say you cannot build a new home unless you have at least one entrance that's visible for a person with a wheelchair or scooter, and you must have at least a half bath on the first floor, or you're not building a new home in our city. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where our goal is to uncover the future of building and remodeling. Join us as we explore an industry that is constantly changing with new products, new designs, new practices, and new technologies. From builders to remodelers to executives, as well as those with outside perspectives, each episode of Construction Disruption is going to meet with forward thinkers, as well as those in the know from our construction industry in some cases, to share their unique insights. Construction Disruption was created and it is sponsored by Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing systems and other building materials. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, and my co-host is Seth Heckeman, our sales manager. Uh, our producer here behind the scenes is Ryan Bell, and we also have Ethan Young helping here behind the scenes as well. So, thanks so much, Todd. Looking forward to this episode with Rosemary. Uh, before we get started, wanted to do something a little bit different. Normally, you ask me a question, wanted to kick it back to you. Uh, so, you know, really the goal of this podcast is to, you know, create these conversations and learn more about um, how changes occur, what the impact of those changes are, how we can be more forward thinking and innovative. And, um, you know, recognize that so often, those changes that truly do disrupt, uh, they come a little bit out of the blue uh, sometimes and turn the industry on their uh, on its head. And for those of us uh, firmly entrenched in the industry, we want to be doing the disrupting versus someone else with new eyes and fresh perspective disrupting us. But um, curious, point. you know, we're now eight or nine episodes in wherever we are, and we've been thinking a lot about uh, this for a while now. What are what are some of your hunches? What are you? What do you think are the opportuni- opportunities for disruption, innovation? Uh, where do you see those uh, occurring here in the months and years ahead? Goodness, good question. Um, you know, I think a lot of what I keep keep sensing and keep seeming to come up is the idea of simplicity. Um, I really think that things are going to get simpler and a lot of the disruptions, a lot of the developments, a lot of the advancements are going to be to make things simpler. I mean, make things easier to produce, um, make things perhaps easier to produce maybe with simpler raw materials. I mean, as we've seen supply chain disruptions this year, I think that has everyone saying, well, does my supply chain really have to be as complicated as it's been? Um, Yes, things will probably get back to quote unquote normal at some point, but does it have to really be normal as it was before? Um, I think things are going to get simpler to ship. I mean, we've seen all the problems with shipping and containers, and um, domestically we've seen the shortages of truck drivers and how that's had an impact. So I think everyone's, a lot of those advancements, a lot of those disruptions are going to be people figuring out how to package things better, how to be able to ship them more with greater ease and greater simplicity, certainly how to install products with greater simplicity. I mean, you know, 
Okay, so we know there's a labor shortage out there in construction. Well, can we make products that perhaps don't require the skill level to install that they used to require? You and I both know one of our favorite production managers from a contractor we know always talks about, you know, I got to be able to have products that I can take the Subway sandwich artist and put them on a roof and get him to start installing products in a quality manner. So how can that get simpler? Um, I think even operationally, so we think about energy efficiency, we think about sustainability, um, we think about maintenance on products. I, I think all of that, the disruptions are going to become from ways to make those things simpler, ways to make them require less maintenance, ways to make them require less energy, ways to make them require less operational effort. Um, so I, I guess that's kind of what I'm sensing. Um, does that resonate with anything that you've been hearing at all also? I'm just curious. Oh, absolutely. It's, um, I think now it's ever more present than ever, uh, just with the skilled labor side, especially doing more with less, faster installing, simpler installing. But, you know, from a di- little bit different context of disruption, but what the pandemic has brought, can we simplify things that are, harder to disrupt or fewer things that could go wrong or disrupt in in packaging or, you know, any area of our production. We were in a meeting earlier this week and there were three or four ancillary packaging components that we're having trouble getting right now. None of it's roofing product, but it's getting roofing product out the door. So can we eliminate those, um, all those complexities and streamline it as much as possible? I think we're going to have to moving forward because... Uh, it seems like the world is just getting disrupted at a uh, more and more frequent frequent rate, absolutely. And it's interesting because in my life, I've generally seen things get more complex, more complicated as advancements have come. So believe me, for my aging mind and my shrinking brain cells, uh, it's refreshing to think that Gee whiz, maybe things will get a little bit simpler, a little bit easier, and that's where our advancements will be. So uh, I think we can only hope uh, that'll be good stuff. So thank you again for joining us uh, today for Construction Disruption. Today, our guest is Dr. Rosemary Rossetti. Um, Rosemary knows disruption, unfortunately, in a, in a pretty painful way. But um, on June 13th, 1998, um, the lives of Rosemary and her husband, Mark, were tr- forever transformed, really. Um, they were out riding their bikes on a trail in Granville, Ohio, uh, when a 7,000-pound tree crashed down on Rosemary, causing a spinal cord injury that left her paralyzed from the waist down. Now, prior to that tragic event, Dr. Rossetti was a professor in agriculture education at The Ohio State University, which I think is pretty interesting, too, because you were definitely on the front edge of things. When I think of agriculture professors at OSU, um, say, you know, back in the 80s, I, I think a guy's probably with horned rim glasses and short haircuts and that type of thing. So I, I think that that's really cool what you were doing before then as well. Um, now, you may all may be wondering, you know, what does this all have to do with construction? Um, but imagine the changes in Rosemary and Mark's lives as she adapted to living from a wheelchair. Suddenly, um, undoubtedly, things that she had always taken for granted as working in their home and their living space no longer worked. Um, And out of that, she has found strength to 
help others and to also rise above misfortune and to adapt to, to change in new circumstances. Uh, Rosemarie is a world-known speaker um, on the topics we're going to be talking about today, and she has truly taken you know this tragedy in her life, but turned it into something where she has built um, good things for other people and uh, helped them to learn and to aspire to better things. So a big part of all of that change, again, was becoming a world-renowned expert in the subject of universal design. And when I first met Rosemarie, um, probably 10, 12 years ago, I had no clue what this term universal design meant. Um, it'll be interesting. Maybe you can share with us whether maybe I, maybe it was with good reason I didn't know what it meant. Maybe it hadn't really been used much. But universal design is the design and composition, creation of an environment um, so that it can be accessed, understood, and used to the greatest extent possible by everyone, all people, regardless of age, size, ability, or disability. And it is that focus of Rosemarie's on changing construction and design um, to be really universally usable, accessible, and comfortable that brings her here to speak to us today. So, uh, Rosemarie, welcome. Um, really a pleasure to have you here on Construction Disruption. I thank you very much for joining us. Um, before we get too far into things, I've kind of given the setup of, of what happened. If you want to add anything to that, that'd be great. But um, I'm kind of curious if you can share some stories of us when you first returned to your home after the accident and you know some of the therapy and, and rehabilitation you had to go through. And you know, you realized that that home that you probably loved and had served you well uh, before the accident no longer served you. I'm just curious to hear what that was like and some of the things you ran into. Well, thank you, Todd. The opportunity to come home from the hospital in a wheelchair for the first time presented obstacles. We had steps at the front door, steps through the garage. Every entrance had steps. So to get me into the home uh, as a visitor to the home, I was still an inpatient at Ohio State University in the rehabilitation hospital, but they allowed me to come home on a field trip to see what it would be like. Uh, what a rude awakening. My husband, Mark, who's very tall, he's six foot four. I am four foot two in a wheelchair. So he was able to pick me up in the wheelchair and roll me into the house through the front door over the steps. So that was one way to get in. And we knew that was not going to be the solution uh, for a permanent uh, residence. But So here I am for the first time in this wheelchair from the hospital on the hardwood foyer floor. And then it transitions into carpet. So I took the wheelchair rims and I started to roll into the house on the carpet. And I didn't have the strength to do that. The carpet was so thick. The padding was so thick that I couldn't even get into the house, into the great room because of the carpeting. So Mark came to my aid again and pushed me across into the kitchen where there was a vinyl flooring. Um, so then I could roll around a little in the kitchen. And I thought, well, let me get a glass and get a drink of water. Well, there was the first realization that all the cabinets are too high, the countertops are too high, and I can't reach the faucet. So Mark had to get a glass, fill it with water, and give it to me. 
And Todd, that was when the depression really set in. There is nothing I can do independently anymore in my house, in my current condition. I had a two-story home, so that was out of reach because of the steps. I had a publishing company that was housed in the basement. That had to be dissolved and all income from the publishing of the book. The doors were too narrow in many of the bathrooms. The shower was very unmanageable in that it was small and had a large lip and a sliding door. Furniture had to be moved out of the house and a hospital bed brought into the bedroom. So I'm painting a picture of the frustration that I was experiencing on that first field trip, and it didn't get any better when I finally came home. Um, It just intensified my disability. The environment intensified what I was going through. It was bad enough that I'm paralyzed, but now not able to function in my own home independently. Wow. Yeah, that, yeah, you've painted quite the picture there for us. So in that case, you know, this strategy became the impetus. I mean, this was going to force change. It became very obvious to you, even on that visit to your home, that things had to change. Well, you and I, first got to know each other um, about 10 years ago when you were designing and building your new home, um, which is known as the Universal Design Living Laboratory, or a lot of us use UDLL to shorten it, and I believe your website is UDLL.org. Dot com. Dot com, okay. Mm -hmm. I'm curious. I'm going to go back to the question I kind of touched on earlier. Do you know anything about the origination of the universal living um, or universal design term? Was that in existence when you started designing your home? It was in existence in the mid-1980s. So this was a uh, earlier than the Americans with Disabilities Act that was in 1990. It was um, coined by a man named Ron Mace. He was a architect and he was on the faculty at North Carolina State University. The interesting part about Ron Mace is as a child, he had polio. So he used a wheelchair for mobility. So the idea of creating architecture and creating products, creating environments for all people, not with specialized design, but thinking about some principles that would make the, um, the products and the spaces usable and adaptable for people of all abilities, regardless of a disability. So in the early 80s, it became um, a lot of conversation with other architects that he brought together to come up with a definition and the seven principles of universal design. Wow. That's interesting. And again, to think, you know, 10 years ago, I hadn't really heard the term. And I suspect that we have lots of listeners out there who have never, never heard it even at this point. Um, So, you know, you, you designed and built uh, your home. Um, Again, UDLL.com and and there's some great tours and and information there on the home and information on some of the products you used. Um, But it was designed specifically to serve folks regardless of their needs. Um, Can you just maybe tell us a few of the new products or design ideas that were put to use uh, in your home? 
Well, our new home is absolutely a joy to uh, experience. We're very privileged to live here. So, you know, the design, of course, has no steps at any of the entrances. So we can just roll right in, and the thresholds are no taller than a half inch. All the doors are 36-inch wide. So as we compare the entrance of the old home to the new home, I mean, it's drastically different. And there is no carpet. It's all hardwood flooring as well as ceramic tile. So I can get around easily on hard surfaces. And then when you look at the kitchen cabinets and the kitchen countertops, they're arranged differently. So I can reach at least the lowest shelf in the kitchen cabinets. The countertops are um, of various heights throughout the kitchen for people of all heights and all abilities. Uh, we have toe kicks, um, which is a space on the uh, under the cabinets in the kitchen and the bathroom so I can wheel up and there's space for the footrest of my wheelchair and my feet. And so we've got some really nice cabinets that allow me full access, countertops of an appropriate height, and some wonderful appliances that really make life easier so that I can reach the shelves in the side-by-side -side refrigerator when I do laundry, um, there's a front-loading door on the washer and dryer, and the whole washer and dryer unit's on pedestals, making it the right height. When it's time to put in the detergent, I can reach the dispensers from a seated position. Um, all of the plumbing hardware has lever handles as well as, as well as the door hardware, making that easier. So there's just a lot of innovation out there, a lot of creativity that's now hit the market by storm, not only in residential, but you'll start seeing it in hospitality, in hotels, and in uh, rental spaces for the rental market. Very interesting. I know, and this is completely off off uh, script here, but uh, I remember uh, watching um, Matt Roloff and Little People Big World, and he had started a business to bring products to the hospitality industry um, that would, you know, serve some of these needs also. And I thought how neat that was. I had the opportunity to, to speak with Matt actually a few weeks ago and um, very, very, really nice man. It was neat, neat talking to him. So You've talked about some of the things you did to make your home more sustainable, um, but or, or excuse me, more universal design. But you also did things to make your home more sustainable and more beautiful. And I know that it's been several years since I've been over to to see the home. In fact, it wasn't quite completed all the way when I was there. I, I think there was some landscaping going in that day, if I remember right. Um, but, you know, you'd also done some things that we worked together on, such as integrated solar, and we did a custom colored roof. And the home, just to paint everyone a picture, is just impeccably designed with with a beautiful eye and color coordination and has sort of a Frank Lloyd Wright look and feel to it and just just a real joy. But um, what were some other areas beyond just universal design that you wanted to try to accomplish um, with your new home? Well, we've been describing universal design, looking at the uh, ability for people of all ages and all abilities. And you brought up the point of sustainability. Here's my point on that. How can a home be sustainable if it's not accessible? And I brought that to the attention of the U.S. Green Building Council. At the time we were in construction, we were applying for LEED certification, and there was no points 
for an accessibility or any universal design component in our home. So I argued the case and won the case, and they changed the rating system and added points for accessibility, visitability, universal design. Because we realized that if a home is to be sustainable, it has to be usable by the occupants. So why create a home that's going to create problems later should there be a temporary illness or disability where they can't get into the house, they can't get into the bathroom, they can't take a shower, and then you're having to tear the house apart to remodel it. So it makes more sense to look at sustainability from uh, uh, maybe a, a stool perspective where we have we have the green side, which you always think about the energy efficiency and uh, how less costly it is and how more environmentally friendly it is. Well, now let's look at another part and we call this social sustainability. And so that might be a new term for your listeners and viewers today is to not only look at green from a sustainability of energy efficiency and environmental efficiency and, and friendliness, but looking at the social sustainability, the ability to sell that property and transfer it to another family who has totally different needs or a family that wants to stay there as they're aging in place. Wow. You know, and, and I congratulate you because from everything I've heard, it's not easy to th change things with USGBC. So that's that's quite an accomplish. That's an accomplishment. That's great. I'm curious, going through that lead process, because uh, we keep hearing that a lot of those, uh, the lead kind of guidelines and, and metrics are going to be more and more just incorporated into the overall building code as new additions come out and where it's not just going for lead certification, it's going to be required of all construction. So curious your feedback going through that process and trying to hit that high bar and um, what has that impacted or you see the effects, positive effects of that now living in the home 10 years later. Yes, we did receive a, a silver certification for LEED. We also went for the U.S. Um, uh, in terms of NAHB and the National Green Building Standard Program. We got a gold rating there. So there were two certifications on the green side. But then we went to the Universal Design Certification, and we had three of those, the top-rated certification programs, the top level on all three of them. And here's what the future is going to be. It's going to be about building codes requiring some of these accessibility and universal design features. I think it's going to take that type of approach for the construction industry to take note. Thinking about is this a stick approach where you beat someone with a stick, forcing them to make a change? Or is it a carrot approach where you get rebates that... Um, go to the consumer or go to the builder. When you look at what changed the industry of construction for water efficiency and heat efficiency and energy star, where did all that come from? It wasn't just, oh, it's a good thing to do and the market is looking for this. That's not pushing universal design any faster. We have to have a stick approach. We have to have legislation. We have to have states and cities that are bold enough like the ones that are out there now that say you cannot build a new home unless you have at least one entrance that's visitable for a person with a wheelchair or scooter, and you must have at least a half bath on the first floor, or you're not building a new home in our city. 
And, and looking beyond that, what other ideas could be implemented so that this goes faster and farther? Very inter- interesting. And I think for for listeners who don't know, we're seeing this ADA compliance, you know, infiltrate um, industries where we never would have thought it would previously, let alone construction, where it makes a whole lot of sense. You know, where Ryan is going through the process of looking over our websites, which are now being held to ADA standards and, and uh, Americans with Disabilities Act and what that means. So it is in, as it should, infiltrating uh, all sectors of business and, and society. And it's definitely uh, going to impact construction as well. You know, it's interesting. I had a question down that I realize now is just a silly question. And, and I, I'm going to go ahead and, and talk about it um, because I think it does show, you know, what what all I have to learn. Um, but I was I was going to ask you a question about, you know, is the need for universal design growing or shrinking? And, you know, what a dumb question. I mean, it's, it really is out there that it's going to be a and needs to be a basic change. One of the things I thought about you touched on earlier, um, I remember a number of years ago, my adult sister um, uh, was in an accident and broke her leg. And really her only choice during recuperation where she had the full cast was to move back into my parents' uh, home. Well, my parents lived in a tri-level, which absolutely couldn't have been worse for the situation, um, and had absolutely nothing in that house that was conducive at all to someone with a full cast and in a wheelchair and all that type of thing. And I just remember looking and thinking at that time how miserable that existence had to be as she was recuperating, even as she was trapped basically in two little rooms of their house because they simply couldn't get her anyplace else. But so you, you had some very specific needs that, that drove you toward universal design, but maybe you could expand a little bit more. And I kind of touched on it right now with this with my sister, but um, touch a little bit more on how all people benefit from universal design. And as I am have learned and am still learning, universal design really means that. These are concepts that are good for everyone. Um, so can you maybe expand a little bit on, on that idea of it being good for everyone? Well, focus on safety, one of the premier aspects of universal design. And if you look in your home, what do you have as safety features that's built in so you won't trip and fall? Um, Let's take a look at the bathroom, for example. To what extent you have the ability to either get into a bathtub or get into a shower without tripping and falling? And what types of things would universal design support? And the most obvious is the grab bar. And so to what extent do the homes that are being built today have the reinforcement there, and the wherewithal to talk to um, the design team to say, let's pick out some wonderful-looking grab bars that match the towel bars so that these safety features are included. So it impacts everyone. When we have tours in our house, we had before the pandemic, over 3,300 people have toured our home in person. And then we have the virtual tour at our website, udll.com. But the comments we were getting, especially from the women, they would say, when they looked at our shower, they said, oh, I like that grab bar there. When I was pregnant, that would have been very helpful to me to stabilize me. 
And another woman would chime in, oh, I wish I had that now when I'm shaving my legs. It would be great to hold on to that bar. So we're seeing comments from a variety of people. And and maybe it's a matter of saying that is a balance bar and thinking about it from another perspective. It helps keep your balance. It's not a symbol that you're feeble and old. Everyone needs a little safety balance bar by the toilet and into the shower and into the tub area. Wow, that's interesting. I know I had someone at my home once, and they were in one of my bathrooms, and I don't know what happened. They slipped or something, and they grabbed for that towel bar and ripped <laughs> that right off the wall because it was not made to be used as a grab bar. So very interesting. So, I mean, do you see advancements being made along these lines in, in construction in general? I mean, do you think some things are getting getting better or um i mean i guess all of us are are developing this vision that at some point all construction would be universal design and how great would it even be if this new infrastructure bill had some requirements in it for that but um are you seeing improvements and advancements or what are your thoughts as far as the timeline of this yeah we have a population that's getting older uh, yesterday's new york times had an article on the U.S. Census data that just came out. And if you're familiar with the villages just north of Orlando, Florida, the census just reported yesterday a 40% increase in population in the villages from 2010 to, um, to 20. And so, okay, looking around your community or looking around your friends and family, every second we're getting older. And as we're aging, we'd love to be able to age in place. So we're looking at the building community, thinking about that population, those baby boomers. They're the ones that are making decisions for their final home, and they would love a quality of life. They're looking at apartments. They're looking at single-family homes. They're looking at condominiums. And so there is an opportunity for the construction industry to take note of that, It's not necessarily um, for only older folks, but realizing that the census is showing there's a market out there for this uh, population that is over 50. Interesting. As you have gone down this path and, you know, you were designing your home, you've continued to stay active in that arena. Um, Have you found any particular manufacturers of building materials or perhaps designers, architects of buildings that have been especially proactive or especially helpful in furthering universal design? Yes, I can quote some of our wonderful contributors to the Universal Design Living Laboratory. These are companies that were very generous offering us discounts or no cost on some of the products and some of the installation And one comes to mind is Marvin Windows. They're also energy efficient, a wonderful product. But from the universal design side, we chose them because they are casement windows. They're a lot easier to open and close with a crank instead of the double hung that you have to lift with your back. And the crank was reachable from a seated position as well as the lock on the window. And that's why we selected Marvin for both the green and the universal design components. And then when we look at the appliances, the major appliances are from KitchenAid and Whirlpool. As I alluded to, the washer and dryer being very easy for us. 
uh, in the refrigerator, the shelves roll out to me so that me with short arms can get items in the back. Uh, it's a side-by-side refrigerator and freezer. I think that configuration works well. Another creative product from Gagano, this was a oven with the hinge on the side of the door. So imagine when you're putting in a pizza or you're putting in a, a, a ham or a turkey, how that door typically is hinged on the bottom. That then limits your accessibility if you're standing there or seated there. So we were very attracted to Gagano, not only for the side-hinged oven, but also they had an in-counter steamer. A name like Rossetti, wouldn't you expect I cook spaghetti once in a while? <laughs> <laughs> and so this is a, a wonderful innovation. It's part of the cooktop. Um, it's a place to fill the uh, vessel, the in-counter steamer, with water, with a pot filler from Kohler that's right there. When the water boils, I just lower a basket with uncooked pasta and cook it and then uh, put it in a serving platter and push a button and the water drains right there at the cooktop. Wow. So it's totally safe and independent for me. So those are a couple of companies. There's many, many. Some of the more recent ones, Shelf Genie came in recently and put in some new um, solutions in our closet so that we could pull down the closet rod from a seated position for those clothes that were hanging tall. Um, they've got some wonderful products out there. A lot of solutions for storage at the uh, Reva shelf also. Good stuff. I, and so, so a couple of years ago, my wife and I had the uh, kitchen in our home remodeled, and I wish I would have contacted you and thought about some of these things. And it's, it's interesting when you talked about the oven because we have a wall oven that is mounted maybe a little bit higher than a normal wall oven, but my wife and I are both 5'7". Well, if something has to come in or out of that oven, my wife is getting me. I mean, she just won't do it because of trying to reach over that door that is flipped down right in front of you at that point. So interesting. Do, do you think architectural schools, are, are? do you hear that they're getting better about teaching universal design to their students? I think they are. They're coming here on tours. They're doing... Um in fact, I've got one September 16th with some architectural students in St. Louis. Um, they've asked me to do a program on creativity and design. So there are courses out there. And we often bring in interior design students and architectural students and engineering students on tours. So I think it's hitting um, the, the younger generation, and I think they're getting it. You know, when we have young people in here, they think it's very cool. It's very modern when they see a four-foot by seven-foot shower with no lip on it. And then they see the glass block letting natural light in. And they see the water drains to the back in a channel drain from Quick Drain USA. They see this as a modern technology now. It's not your grandmother's shower anymore. <laughs> and so then they see the hand shower with the ability to sit on the shower chair that's attached to the wall and adjust that hand shower, making that so easy for everyone. Very neat. Uh, Rosemary, it's so um, inspiring hearing how you've become such a leader in this segment of the industry and in the advancements and, and kind of the evangelist you are for universal design. When 
you know, we heard the story earlier. Obviously, that was not a part of your life before your accident. Um, but and you were obviously very successful pre-accident as well, being a professor at Ohio State, and you had the publishing company in your basement. Um, I was struck when you were telling your story. You said that's when the depression set in. Um, so how can you can we revisit that for a second? Of how did you go from um, depressed to then innovative and industrious and entrepreneurial again? All those all those values and you already had and were making use of. What did that process look like? And what do you what uh, what do you offer to others who are going through tragedy to you know come out the other side proactively like you have? Well, let's take it, Seth, from the beginning. When I first woke up from the surgery, I was lucky to be alive, fortunately. I mean, for me, um, going into surgery and going under for the anesthesia, the last thought on my mind, I'm going to tell you now, will this be my last thought? I didn't know I'd be alive ever again after that surgery. So to wake up in intensive care, hooked up to all the equipment, laying on my back, I was in a new state of, oh my gosh, I'm alive again. And I vowed right then that no matter what, I was lucky to be alive. So that's the first part. And then the realization of I'm paralyzed from the waist down, I have a spinal cord injury, I'll probably use a wheelchair, maybe for the rest of my life. And then the realization of the pain and the depression got worse. The inability to feed myself, to hold a toothbrush, to even move in bed, the depression was extreme. Coming home from the hospital, more depression, because now all the staff that was taking care of me was no longer in my home. It was Mark's responsibility. So there were times when I wasn't sure life was worth living. And um, someone had suggested that I go to a motivational seminar to readjust my framework. And the book that changed everything, one book, I'm going to give you the title, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm, Victor Frankel. Yes, Victor Frankel. Someone had recommended it in the motivational seminar. I came home and told Mark. He said, I read that in high school. I think I still have a copy. And he went into the basement. He found his copy and brought it to my bed so that I could read it immediately with a box of tissues on my side. That book taught me about the meaning for life, and it's about love. And if I love Mark, we had only been married three years, and if I love my mother and my brothers and all my friends and other family that were there rallying me in a big way at the hospital and when I came home, there was no way I was going to check out of life. Life is about love and brings meaning to life. And so from that point on, I got better. We also realized Mark's depression was worse than mine as the survivor, as the person who was there trying to warn me about the tree falling. He saw it falling and he yelled, but there was nothing I could do or he could do. So we immediately um, got a counselor that worked with us for a year Um, on the depression, on the grieving, to cope with this. It was a mental struggle for the two of us. And Mark uh, was prescribed some medication for depression to help him get over it. So it's a very personal story that needs to be told. When you're in depression, 
it's it's an illness it's a medical illness because it can really drive you down and your healing doesn't continue your state of mind is totally in a flux of i don't even want to get up i don't want to move why bother so you have to go through some counseling read some material and get the help that's needed don't ignore it go get some help to get out of that funk and move forward and say I can't change what happened anymore. That was a situation, a circumstance beyond our control. But I can change how I react to that situation. I'm still me. Even though I couldn't walk, I still had my brain. I still had my skill set. I still had the ability to move forward. I just had to figure out what I was going to do now. Thank you. Oh, so inspiring. And thank you for your transparency and Mark's transparency for letting that those those key details uh, that so many people need to know and, and um, know it's okay to get the help you need and, and what that can mean, the, uh, the opportunity on the backside of it. So thank you. And thank you. So thank goodness you, you know, you did make it through all that because you're doing so much good today. Um, Tell us more. You touched a little bit on some of the things with the architectural students coming in from St. Louis. Um, tell us more about some of the education and things that you're doing today and have been doing um, to help further the awareness and adoption of universal design. Well, there's a National Universal Design Summit coming up at the end of September. It, it was just announced yesterday. It will not be in St. Louis. It will now be virtual thanks to the pandemic. So I am on the docket to do a presentation for them on September oh, wow. 30th from home. It will be uh, recorded and uh, to a live stream audience also. So there are lots of conferences that I'm invited to, um, and those are the ones that are coming up both of them very virtually, September 16th at St. Louis University to their students, and then the uh, world at large for the Universal Design Summit. I also am on the board of trustees for the Global Universal Design Commission. So this is an international body, a nonprofit organization, promoting universal design throughout, not just in the homes, but also in workplaces. And so I've got lots of new clients that we're working with to create the workspaces to be more inclusive, especially now that people are going back to work to accommodate those with not only mobility challenges, but vision and hearing and intellectual. So there's a lot of work that now is taking me on a new path that I never expected to go, looking at universal design in the workplace. In addition, I'm looking at hospitality design, working with the hotel industry and the vacation rental industry, talking to them about the accessibility going beyond ADA with universal design. ADA is the benchmark. That's the, the low standard. Universal design takes it so much farther beyond what's required by law. You know, that's interesting. We had pointed out in a previous podcast, we were uh, interviewing a uh, engineer and he commented that building codes in general, that's the bare minimum. You know, it, it's always about going above and, and beyond that. So very interesting. Well, thank you very much for all the effort and work and, you know, out of tragedy. I mean, but how perfect were you coming out of the education field to 
carry this message forward in, in a powerful way. So, you know, we hope that we've got some younger folks out there who are listening and, and viewing our, our uh, construction disruption. Is there any particular advice you'd give to them um, to help them and inspire them to continue to build and remodel in ways that take all those occupants and all those potential occupants in mind? Well, I would recommend the book that I wrote. We haven't talked about that yet. I wrote a book for your audience. And, and so I recommend it highly. It is the Universal Design Toolkit. It comes with 16 videos. So it's a wonderful opportunity. That's why I put it together. And they can acquire it. It is a PDF, so you can carry it around on any of your cell phone or your laptop or your iPads or tablets. Uh, the PDF is available at universaldesigntoolkit.com. I'll give you a free chapter, and that is a list of the universal design features in our home, room by room. So just go to our main website, udll.com, and click on Download Free Chapter of the Universal Design Toolkit. Now, some of you um, like the printed version, so you can purchase the printed copy at the Amazon's website. So either way, you can use it as a PDF or printed. The videos are a behind-the-scenes video tour of the home, as well as some replays of the um, webinars I've done for the construction industry. There are others on my website. There are other videos that you can see, as well as over 100 articles about our home, either that I've written or people in the industry have written about the home. So spend some time at udll.com. Take the virtual tour. It's really cool. Um, Google did a wonderful job. They took over 700 photos of our home. You can actually play a game. Our cat was loose, uh, Todd, during the photo shoot. <laughs> and so she appears in many of the rooms. She's a little orange tabby cat. <laughs> and, well, that's good stuff. Uh, you'll be able to see the entire home as well as some of the landscape. And going into the lower level, we have a training room there. You can go down and look at that. So there's a lot of certifications out there for your viewers. The NAHB, of course, has the Certified Aging in Place Specialist. The National Association of the Remodeling Industry has a Universal Design Certification. Um, there's a um, Certified Living in Place Professional. Um, I've taken that course and am certified in that. So go forward and, and get some certification. Takes these courses. Many of them are online now, so it's uh, distributed over a period of time and from the convenience of your own home. Wow. Well, this time has really flown by, and I have to tell you, even though we had some history, and I've heard you speak before, and I've been on the website, um, this still has been so eye-opening to me, Rosemary, in terms of the need for, for universal design and exactly what all this could entail and how this could change our world in such a better way to see more and more universal design. Um, curious, is there anything that we haven't covered today? We've covered a lot, thank you, but is there anything we haven't covered um, that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I'm here for your listeners. Um, please reach out to me. My my direct contact is easy. It's Rosemary, R-O-S-E-M-A-R-I-E, at rosemarispeaks.com. Feel free to reach out to me. My second website, rosemarispeaks.com, features 
the um, more of the speaking side of my business and the consulting side. If any of you are developing new homes or condominiums or vacation rentals or apartments, and you just like Mark and I to do a plan review, we'd be happy to do that on a fee basis. And if any of you are aware of other conferences, either virtual or in person, I'd be honored if you'd put my name in for consideration. Well, I very much hope that we can help spread the word and 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 uh, get some folks out there who are uh, have, being more mindful um, of universal design and, of course, uh, you as a leading expert being able to play a role in that. So um, thank you so much um, for joining us today. This is, again, time has flown. It's been a real pleasure. Um, great to connect with you again. Um, but I thank everyone uh, for tuning in to this episode of Construction Disruption with our guest, Dr. Rosemarie Rossetti, a world-renowned expert in the area of universal design. Again, it's been a real pleasure. Um, thank you so much for what you're doing, and I hope that through this podcast, we really can raise awareness and get some other folks and really some true disruptors out there who, are, who will be pursuing universal design. Well, that was uh, that was interesting. So we sat down. I thought to record a podcast and talk about a new air, neat area of construction, and and then to ended up instead on this emotional roller coaster. Um, what an amazing guest! Uh, what an incredible story! Um, you can't help but as you listen to Rosemary, you can't help but you know put yourself or your family in those shoes and and think what that would have been like. Um, and yet you look at someone who out of tragedy has, you know, really figured out, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? What can I do with this to change the world? And has used the gifts and the, the skills and the talents she always has had um, to go out and provide education and, and hopefully bring change out there. Uh, I think it's interesting, you know, as we think about, you know, they sat down and, and designed this home and designed it out of realizing needs and necessities and challenges and obstacles they had. Um, but you know, they also did a lot of reaching out to other to companies and saying, hey, how can you help us be able to make this better and, and really capture this idea of universal design? You know, one of the questions I wish I would have asked her, I mean, she kind of gave us the history of universal design. Um, I'm curious if she had ever heard the term um, before her accident happened. I mean, my guess is she probably hadn't. Um, so it really would be important if we can use this as a catalyst to help raise some awareness of that. Absolutely. Uh, I can't recommend, uh, she gave the most powerful recommendation for that, that man search for meeting, but uh, I read that at a critical juncture of my life and it, it meant a lot to me too. So it was uh, special for me to hear that brought up um, and highly recommend it. But, you know, that whole idea per meaning of life, uh, the, the purpose of life is love and compassion and, um, you know, those of us uh, spiritual folks, you know, God is love and what all that means and how it infiltrates everything. But, you know, practical standpoint in our business and, and the opportunity to live out the values and virtues, love and compassion, uh, but then also what it means in a consultative sale pro sales process when we're working with uh, homeowners or other property owners, bringing 
new ideas, perspectives, new information to the table and expanding that conversation beyond what they're expecting it to be, um, positions ourselves as the consultant when we, when we open the conversation to include, okay, what does aging in place look like over the next 20 years? Here are other things you need to consider. Um, there is uh, uh, emotional benefit to that. There's uh, profitable benefit to that. Um, so we can accomplish all things. And this idea of universal design uh, can be a key component of it. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that. I mean, it, it's really just caring and loving for each other or caring for each other and loving each other and, you know, doing that and how we design and how we build structures. And uh, I have seen a few contractors um, in recent years who are remodeling contractors um, who are really focused on this um, adapting a home for aging in place. Um, and God bless them. It's great they're doing that, but wouldn't it be wonderful if they didn't have anything to do because that home was already built for that um, or already built for that person who perhaps you know broke their leg or suffered some even worse um, tragic accident. Uh, one of the things that I think about, and you've touched on it, I hope that COVID um, has been a time for all of us to become a little more reflective, a little more caring, um, a little more realizing that we need each other because we've been separated from each other a lot. Um, so I, I hope that uh, all of this just ends up in that time that we realize how can we do that in our careers and our workplaces and in our families uh, to show um, more care for one another. Absolutely. Good stuff. Please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We have more great guests on tap. Um, don't forget to leave a review or comment on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Um, and until our next episode, I encourage everybody, change the world for someone. Um, make them smile. Bring them encouragement. Bring them hope, just as you have to us today, Rosemary. All of those are some of the most powerful things that we can do to change the world literally one interaction at a time. God bless everyone. Take care. This is Isaiah Industries, Seth and Todd signing off until the next episode of Construction Disruption.